Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to Director Showdown, uh, episode two of uh, Spielberg. You can count the... that high? <laughs> yeah. You as a you as a as a Spielberg fan can count to two? That's I, I can get all the way up to ten now. I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, but um yeah, so I'm Brent back again. With me is uh, Adam, my uh, pretentious art film loving uh, comrade here. Uh, this week we have a special guest. Uh, got our friend Sergio joining us. What's up, y'all? How you doing? And uh, yeah, this week we watched uh, Stanley Kubrick's. Almost said Stephen Kubrick's. Again. What? Yeah. Why do you? Director Space Down. Space Epic uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, which is a drastic departure from what we watched last week, Indiana Jones. Um, but uh, yeah, how, what was your uh, experience like watching it this weekend? Well, do you think we should start off with um, just a brief summary about uh, about um, this this movie, what it's about? You know, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'll, I guess that's my task since I fucking brought it up. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, where do you even fucking start with uh, two thousand one as? Mm-hmm. For a summary for that movie, it is it is a. Movie. It's in the title, really. Well, yeah, it's a it's an odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scope of it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the the scope of it is so grand, and uh, I mean, you start off with with apes, the beginning of man. Mm-hmm. Well, even I wouldn't even say that. I would say the beginning of time with the whole. Um, yeah, I think the whole um, the kind, of kind of overture at the beginning yeah. is like kind of signifying the fact that there was just chaos in the beginning and that order was kind of beginning to be established and then that's when dawn of man kind mm-hmm. of begins after the universe is created i guess is the way i read it this time yeah so i see it like as man's discovery of violence to like the first time yeah you know he discovers a weapon he reaches that next elevated state after touching the monolith or whatever mm-hmm. like it's a, it's that evolutionary jump happens like right there and I feel like that's that's like the 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 same concept comes in each time you see the monolith. each little sequence, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then you start off with the the apes and um, how they were they were without uh, tools, and mm-hmm. once the monolith was discovered, they. Uh, found the use of bones and how that could use to uh, progress their society afterwards they were getting more calories by um hunting down more animals and so on and so forth and the one of the things that i would love to bring up is that one of the best transitions i've ever seen in a film is um classic with the bone being tossed in the air the 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 symbolism of um, technological advancement and the uh primate for the primates and then it transitions like straight jump cut to us uh, just a um, a spaceship yeah, that's <laughs> that in shape uh, is similar to the bone yeah you know yeah. and it, shows... and it kind of signifies it's like the same object but yeah. at a different point in time yeah like it represents the same thing it's like these tools years later yeah, yeah seriously yeah, however yeah. long literally yeah, yeah. Like it shows how how technology um is not necessarily just what we can Conventionally, I mean, the definition of technology is just the use of tools external to ourselves, and um, it shows how far we've come with external um, uh, using external tools. You know, it, it's it's quite it's quite amazing to realize to really think about how crazy humans have gone from then to now, just because of the the use of technology. Yeah, and even. And I was thinking, like, you're mentioning tools, and I kind of wrote down, like, in the notes that, kind of, like, in a meta sense, um, like, every, it's, it's really interesting to see, like, how Kubrick um, kind of use it, like, uses characters as tools in the movie. Like, they're less so, mm-hmm. like, actually fully formed characters that you're supposed to be really emotionally attached to. They're kind of more, like, tools to kind of signify certain things and, and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean, that also brings to the point that we had discussed a little bit about how um, the computer HAL is actually the more the most uh, human out of yeah. uh, everybody in the entire film. Like, he shows mm-hmm. he shows um, preservation of um, tendency to, to save himself, survival, um, hubris. Um, like, doubt. Doubt, yeah. yeah. Because uh, paranoia, because he thought that... Oh, yeah. uh, 
because he was observing the humans like I don't even remember their names that's how like apparent it is like well like, Dave, I know how. just because it's like Dave, the yeah quote. but even, <laughs> even so you don't even really remember it I like the implication though that like in essence being human is malfunctioning like that he Hal is malfunctioning because he feels feelings wants self-preservation in essence saying that all humans are malfunctioning creatures because we have the same you know, like instincts that Hal has, mm-hmm. and with him, it's like this computer's malfunctioning because it cares about itself. It wants to preserve. It wants itself. to live. Yeah. It mm-hmm. wants to live, which is what we want to do, and that's why we do all the ugly things that we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that brings that's a great point because with the apes at the beginning, um, they had they were against what was it the, the leopard and the warring tribes and yeah they, there's a big like tribal section where there's right. like two divided sides of apes at the beginning and you could and Kubrick made some beautiful shots of like showing the, the absolute fear that the apes had yeah. mm-hmm. in that one scene where they're in the cave and they're all just like Huddled together, huddled together, and, and you felt you felt like like had more emotion than Dave and yeah, <laughs> too, it was know? like yeah, there's more emotion at the beginning than like kind of the rest yeah. of the movie almost. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, that's the I, I think that the coldness of the humans with Hal is I mean that's exactly what Kubrick was trying to yeah. drive the point of mm-hmm. you know that we've advanced so far that we we have forgotten about our lesser basic instincts mm-hmm. you know? even yeah. when. Even when his see the other guy that uh, Dave was with, a uh, yellow suit man. I don't even remember his name, but uh, Frank, I think. Was it Frank? I think I caught it this time. Yeah. Uh, when Frank was spiraling out into space, and Dave was trying to find him, he wasn't even shocked. Like his fate, his facial expressions. He was just like, "Well, he's dead. I gotta go get him." Like, it was an, it was insane how like how he just didn't really. Um, react even when Hal was not opening the pod bay doors. Um, mm-hmm. He just didn't have he didn't have any emotion. He didn't have any reaction to like the seriousness of Hal not opening because you're in the middle of space. There's not much you can do. But he just he doesn't panic. He doesn't. He doesn't do yeah, I wonder about how it. much of that was like intentional on yeah, Kubrick's part, yeah. or how much of it was. I don't know because like it also fits the character like he wanted to keep his poker face around how he didn't want to like openly show that there was a problem or that he was you know getting to him even mm-hmm. like when they go that scene where they go into the escape pod and have like mm-hmm. their private little like conversation he's always real chill about it he tries to just kind of not give away too much yeah I had mentioned that when we were watching it how like like man, these guys like real like they're like really playing sly about it. They're just like really being like sneaky about yeah. it. Yeah, like, oh, mm-hmm. just need to check this problem out, and then yeah, and then yeah, because you don't want to let let Hal know what you're fucking like trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, if you if it's okay, um, let's move on to signature moves. Okay. Um, what you thought was uh, I don't know the biggest. Some of the biggest signature moves. Yeah, what what yeah. Kubrick, what Kubrick, could do, and I I was I was mentioning during the film how like I noticed that he's so about um, atmosphere, oh, yeah. and there's no a lot of the the shots. It's just slow moving, um, establishing shots. Like everything was just here's the terrain, here's here's the spaceship. Yeah. Here's us getting to a spaceship. It's not. It's not goal oriented. It's a. It is a mood. It's not about plot progression. It's the making you feel like you know what uh, what it's what it's like to be in that uh, situation. Yeah, he's like he's really really systematic about it. Like he'll go from yeah like these big like wide shots to show you just like even like with the dawn of man and then there's like the. Um, like even later on the ship, just like these really long, super long, like like minute, two minute long shots of just showing mm-hmm. like what it's like to be a person in this environment, or what it's like to be an ape like in this environment, mm-hmm. to just kind of like to where like a modern like modern audience would be like, all right, come on, let's fucking wrap it up. Right. Yeah. Let's like this is going on a little long. Like, so I don't know. You just kind of like you have to be patient. I think with this yeah. movie for sure. 
But I mean, it definitely pays off like, in like a huge way. Kubrick's like a master of telling a story without any dialogue. Either. Like even mm. like the scenes, like the fact that he can convey so much emotion just from the way he shoots how. Like when he that that scene where he's watching them in the pod when they're like talking, he's he never explicitly says he's reading their lips, but just from cuts. From like mm-hmm. the cut on a howl on the light, yeah. and then you go back to each mouth. You know, what I mean, it, it, it like he he just pans the camera back and forth instead of cutting back and forth, which says like, oh, he's watching them, he's switching back and forth. Well, like, yeah, it gives a personification of yeah, of exactly, it makes him more human. Uh-huh. Yeah, time. like he's yeah, he doesn't have to say anything. Yeah, even like the beginning shot with the bone coming up in the air, then it turns into the space station. That just implies so much in one cut. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that reminds me too of this the. The shot where they, the scene with Frank getting hit by the, um, yeah, the probe, mm-hmm. and how we didn't actually explicitly saw, we didn't explicitly see Frank get hit by the probe. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that it does these quick zoom ins on on <laughs> yeah. Hal. Like I love that. Yeah. It's so amazing because you can just put two and two together. Yeah. And again, like just like how Spielberg is, it's the. It's not like he's so good at. Well, both of them are so good at storytelling that they can put more. They can put effort onto the audience and let them make the yeah. um, the connection with the scenes. You know, it's not we don't have to think too hard about what is happening. Yeah, know? it's like both both directors. I think really trust the audience. Right. It's like yeah. um, I think Kubrick does. I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll definitely say, like, more. Like, he's like, you guys need to meet me kind of halfway with this. Right. Like, yeah, this, there are a lot absolutely. of big ideas yeah. here. Where, like, Kubrick is more, like, this is the story. Like, I'm not going to, like, dumb it down for anybody, but just, like, I'm going to kind of guide you on the emotional journey of everything. You he's know like what a mean? master of sequencing. Like, just mm-hmm. all the sequencing of all his scenes is, like, perfect. Like, you're like, oh shit, like I know exactly what's going on. I could watch that movie on mute and like know what's going on. Just right, exactly. Visually, it's so rich. Mm-hmm. Like you don't even need dialogue. I mean, the first 30 minutes don't have dialogue. Well, um, yeah. funny that you brought that up because I wrote some notes about that's um, about music and sound in the movie. Um, I had looked up uh, a little bit of trivia and it said that less than... 40 minutes of dialogue was in the movie out of a two-hour and 19-minute film. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. So, uh, obviously, there was very little dialogue, but music music and sound effects were actually their own character in the film. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing... Just, like, I, I... This is one of my favorite parts is when uh, Dave goes into the pod and... Well, he puts on the space suit, and you just hear him breathing, yeah. and you just hear that um, high pitch uh, noise yeah. of air intake. It's just like uneasy. Yeah. yeah, and it's not far off from what you would actually experience in space. Mm-hmm. But it gave it such like character, like the um, going into the abyss. You know, yeah, that tension. Like- just hearing yourself, like you're just there alone. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then. Yeah, and then you're like, and then with the music too. I feel like this movie, more than almost a lot, like almost any other, like kind of put all of this classical music in a totally different context mm-hmm. now. To the point where you hear that opening theme of the dun, 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 or whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and like you just think of two thousand one, not even just the classical piece. And then, yeah. right, of course, they're like their own. They're you know each bit of classical music is kind of trying to do like its own thing to like set the tone of what's trying to be conveyed I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. one of my scenes the scenes that I, I like is the one on the moon when they find the monolith on the moon just that like oh, atmospheric yeah. like mm-hmm. hissing like screeching well like all of the it's like a choir it's like a yeah, choir yeah. piece and then it's like and like it's just oh, so it's like, like clashing yeah it's like it's oh man it's so unsettling like it, it hits you like in your bones like you're just like Ugh, like some, mm-hmm. some shit's going down and then when it gets louder and louder and this isn't just, like a dig on the movie and I love that song and like the scene and everything but like why was he trying to because what that that song uh, or like piece of music portrays is like kind of like this uneasy like kind yeah, of creepy uh-huh. atmospheric thing but it's like why was it supposed to be well, creepy. You know what I mean. Well, I wasn't in that really particular sure. sense, um, for for that scene yeah. in particular, the the one on the moon. Uh, if you remember that, 
they were all lining up for a picture and mm-hmm. it just shows like it only happened when they all lined up when they're all like hey look how badass we are we found this monolith mm-hmm. and that's it was a comment on the hubris of man when they find this thing mm-hmm. and obviously the the thing did not the was it obsolisk monolith um didn't didn't quite care for the hubris of man at that moment. That's when you it know. did like the the super That's high when pitch. It, and, yeah. yeah. Well, I also feel like it, the monolith itself represents milestones, like for man paradigm shifts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it just it's that. Like I think it also signifies the power and like this like aura that this thing is like. That's what I, I gather from that scene. Yeah. It's, it's just like throwing off. It's unknown. It's, it's mysterious. It's like this mystical kind of... Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it That's, still makes yeah. you uneasy because you're like, what is this thing? And, and it, you know it's like powerful and significant, but you have no idea in what way. Well, yeah. I think that, that fucking choir, choral, like high bitch shit just really digs into you. You're like, fuck. Yeah. Well, that's anxiety. You know, yeah. anxiety at the edge of uh, advancement. The unknown. Yeah. And... That's why that that music was was so great for it because mm-hmm. it just it makes us feel anxious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, um, do you have anything else for Sig moves or? Well, we I mean we kind of touched on like the really long almost like like okay so this movie almost every shot of this movie could be like a photograph. Yeah. And that's definitely something that Kubrick does because obviously he's was a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, like, so he just knows how to, like, craft these super intricate, like, well-framed, beautiful, like, shots. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, those are, like, there are so many examples that it'd be, I mean, almost easier to find an example of, like, that not being the case in this movie. That's how many there are. But, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's really the big one. Did you have any other kind of signature moves? Just... I mean, really basic stuff. Nothing, nothing insane. Just attention to detail. You know, oh, yeah. just being able to. Uh, what was the? I already said it. I think that's what I meant by these notes. It's the the spacesuit. Like, that was just honestly my favorite part. Was just. Uh, well, then in like the cockpit of the uh, of the the space sperm being the shuttle, <laughs> like the because sh- <laughs> it comes out of the big long uh, phallic space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just, like, the attention to detail in there, and, like, every button can be pushed, and, like, you feel like all of these are real places. Right. And, like, that's something that you're so good at. The yeah. immersion. Exactly. Yeah. Like, even though it's called 2001, it still is timeless. Yeah, exactly. The stay factor of that movie mm-hmm. is just ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah, and then, yeah, well, you said timeless, which just, like, reminded me of something I wrote down, which is, like, would it be as timeless and still hold up as well if they didn't use classical music? Because I know they had used... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah. like, there was a score that a guy had made that Kubrick was basically... He basically threw it out and was like, no, I don't... That's not going to fit my movie. Like, I'm going to use classical music. And I don't think... And having heard that music, I don't think it would... I don't know. I don't think it would have held up as well. It would have yeah. set a different tone than the movie had. Well, I mean, that's just the point that I made before, is that mm-hmm. the music and sound effects were just so important to this yeah. film. And Kubrick made that call. You know, he was the one who's like, I don't, like you said, you know, I I don't want to deal with this stupid soundtrack, I guess. Like, I'm really curious to watch the film and see it like that. And Mm -hmm. it definitely wouldn't uh, hold up as well, which is the same thing with uh, Steven Spielberg and was it uh, John John Williams, Williams, right? Yeah. Like, honestly, it wouldn't have been as good without John Williams. Well, the thing Mm -hmm. is, like, if you use, like, contemporary, like... I'm I'm sure the soundtrack, the original soundtrack, was probably more electronic. And it was contemporary for that time period. But the thing is, classical music and orchestral music is just the score. Like, that's the staple. That's what you got... In every movie, even today, like, you still have original scores by an orchestra. Yeah, and it makes me think, uh, like, Blade Runner comes to mind, where I think, like, um, I think Vangelis did the soundtrack. And I love that soundtrack, but when you listen to it, it's like, holy shit, this is the most 80s thing I've ever heard. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's like, I don't know if... I I feel like that would have had a big, profound effect on, like... The staying power of two thousand one. If there was like a a synthy, like, a really like synthy, yeah, or sixties. I don't even know what well, that would have been like. Well, I mean, there's just something very ubiquitous about classical music that that's why it has permeated through the ages. Mm-hmm. Exactly because it evokes certain emotional responses within us inherently. 
I mean, I feel like, don't quote me on this, but I feel like babies will just listen to classical music and they'll love it. Mm-hmm. I don't have any scientific papers yeah. about that. I mean, like, it's just, but, like, know. it's not going anywhere. Like, we still yeah, listen exactly. to classical music today, and it's already fucking 15 years past the projected date of this movie. Like, right, mm-hmm. right. And it's, yeah. it's still as contemporary as, I mean, it can be. Yeah, exactly. Well, even the, I, I mean, I'll just make this little point, too. The utilization of silence as well, the lack of yeah. um, music and and dialogue was very apparent in, in the film. Mm-hmm. What was what was the part where... The oh, apes. no, no, with, with the, yeah, yeah, when we were talking about the apes and how before they had gotten to the monolith, there was no sound. There's no music, I mean. Excuse yeah. me. Um, and then dealing with the chaos of the world, and like the leopard and the other tribes and mm-hmm. and so forth. But once they got to the monolith, you, you heard all like the uncertainty and it all like the chaos. It slowly and then, builds up, yeah. too, which is so mm-hmm. good. And then afterwards, you hear like, bum, bum, you know, yeah. all, that, all the majestic stuff when they discover it. And yeah. I just thought like the juxtaposition between... Um, the the science, no music and then music was he knows very, when to go Kubrick knows when to go big and knows when to go small right. like he he like realizes like the kind of like tempo that he has to weave which is like uh, I mean Spielberg does too like we talked uh, on the last one about how like his movies are really kind of like um, there's like a cadence like music to the to like his uh, movies At peaks and valleys like you say exactly yeah. yeah yeah like peaks and valleys but here is not about peaks and valleys <laughs> at least in a storytelling it sense. is a slow slope up mm-hmm. you know a very high tension slow burn mm-hmm. yeah you had said uh, after the intermission you were like there hasn't and it kind of blew my mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's obvious but it blew my mind that there up until the intermission which is two thirds of the way through the uh-huh. movie there's no conflict at all in yeah. the whole yeah. movie which the is like I was happens, like holy yeah. shit there's like no villain really there's like a mysterious like this you just have an uneasy feeling Mm -hmm. but what was cool is that you get to the intermission and then right after everything escalates oh yeah it's like bam now shit's hitting to to me it's almost like two movies like Mm -hmm. you watch that first half and you're like okay that was interesting it's kind of a trip like to see all that unfold and you're like wow he already packed so many centuries into just the first fucking half of this movie mm-hmm. and it's so slow but then the second half is just like a whole other story with Hal and that whole yeah. Like, conflict yeah like, for sure like when it yeah the kind of this, the split between Dawn of Man and then the um, discovery of the monolith and then there's like and then we finally find our main characters like 45 minutes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, yeah. and I feel like it's just like a prologue to the house story right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is yeah. it's that's what's cool about that movie and I mean it, I've definitely watched it like probably like 15 times and I, like probably five of those I've fallen asleep just cause it's so no slow. it's well it's actually funny that you mentioned that but like I put it on a lot of the times like to go to sleep to mm-hmm. because it's such a fucking like it's slow I don't know I don't want that to sound bad but like it's slow and kind of there's the classical music and it's really peaceful yeah and then by the time the shit hits the fan you're asleep already it's perfect <laughs> like so. to, to me that film is like the equivalent of uh, Dark Side of the Moon like it's fun oh, okay. like, like I can listen to that album anytime and it's just beautiful and like mm-hmm. I can still just have peaceful but it has like those peaks and valleys like it'll kind yeah. of escalate at times and it comes back mm-hmm. down and it's That's just so chill yeah. like I really like correlate it with that type of atmosphere mm-hmm. like I don't know it's kind of a non sequitur, but I mean, I wonder if it matches up like Wizard of Oz. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you have to play Dark Side of the Moon like ten times <laughs> yeah. to fucking get through two thousand one. Yeah, shit. So I'd like to move on to the next segment, which I'm particularly excited about. Oh. Uh, so. <laughs> If if 2001, A Space Odyssey, was directed by Steven Spielberg, what would it it be like? I like to start off with Sergio. (laughs) Put him right on the spot. I think the first 45 minutes would just be gone. (laughs) You're absolutely right. That's what I was thinking, dude. Yeah, like... The fucking the apes would probably fight a T Rex at the beginning, and then you know what I mean with a with a with a big old bone. Yeah, they find the monolith, 
create a Jeep and then get a, and they outrun the T-Rex. <laughs> and then Jeff Goldblum's just there suddenly. No, I mean, it's... I feel like, yeah, definitely Spielberg would get more to the point. I, he's more about thrilling audiences, I feel. He's not so much of making them think. He will make you think, but not in the fashion that Kubrick does. Yeah. Like, Kubrick's like... That's true. You're watching it, and it's like a film test. You're like, okay, what is he insinuating? What is he... And Spielberg's kind of just like, all right, we, I'm gonna take you for a ride, motherfucker. Like, you're, you're <laughs> strap in, yeah, strap in. Like, even just like the opening of like Indiana Jones, like when he first reveals him, you're just like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Forward. You don't yeah. see him for like what, like the first like two, three minutes. You see mm, him walking, and they kind the of woods. spin around. Yeah, they spin around. Yeah, and then yeah. like he, his reveal, like he just walks into the light, and you're like, damn, this guy is a fucking badass. Like, yeah. he just. He sets it up to where it's just an adventure all but the way even, through. But even even like that, it's like that sounds really simple when you think about it, but that's really like nuanced and takes a lot of skill yeah. to do that. You know what I mean? But it's like not as flashy as Kubrick does. I yeah, think. I think if, if, even if I were to compare flashy. the two, mm-hmm. I see Spielberg as more of an implementer of different strategies. That's why I, I he's very akin to J.J. Abrams in that fashion that they – they take what they they've learned from other filmmakers and they mm-hmm. implement it themselves like into their into their films. Yeah, I feel like uh, Spielberg's never really set a standard or, or set, like he's taken he's very good at taking what he's learned from other directors and implementing it and fucking taking the audience on a ride. Yeah, and, and I really think he would have just he would have made a badass version of just the house story. I'd love to see that. It would be a lot more thrilling, I think, and less nuanced. <laughs> well, okay, so. I wrote down, like, two main things I wanted to talk about with, like, Spielberg's version of 2001. And the two big differences, I think, are characterization and wonder. So both of those things, I think, would have been amped up a shit ton. Like, characterization, when Dave is, like, locked outside, it would have been intense as shit. Not to say, not to, like, knock this one, because it was intense, but it would have, like, we would have, like, really cared about Dave. Like, there would have been, like, some... (laughs) Like, like we would have learned all about, like, him and Frank, like, on the ship. Yeah, the whole movie, I think, an hour probably um, cutting out a lot of the Dawn of Man stuff. And yeah. The, um, he would have had probably that table scene with all the reporters. And you're about ready to blow out of You're fucking going to explode. <laughs> Let me finish. Let me finish. I didn't, I didn't say anything. You're just, I you're said nothing. insinuating He's it with your eyes, so goddammit. it. shit on this motherfucker right now. <laughs> but, uh... God damn, he got me off track now. But no, I think he would have kept that scene with like all of the reporters in the big press conference. It, it wasn't. It was. I don't even know what that was. Were they reporters in that scene with like everybody oh, with at the, the table? table? No, it, it sounded like, like a, he was talking to press. It was like a mission briefing for the general. I, don't I think know, government of yeah. the moon or some shit. I think uh, he would have kept that. Definitely some dad chuckles in there. Like he always, yeah. he's so good at that. The making the dad chuckle jokes. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, there have been some of that, and then. Uh, yeah, and then a lot of it, I think, would have been, like, learning about Dave and Frank, like, like how it's been on their journey so far since they've been the only two guys awake, like, the loneliness of being the only two people on this journey, like, setting up Hal, I think, in a similar way to, like, what Kubrick did. Uh, and then I wrote down, like, wonder just in the regard of, like, less so how Kubrick did it, which is kind of, there's it's like this ominous presence and more of, like, I can imagine like a John Williams score coming up on these scenes and being like, holy shit, like we found this incredible monolith at, on the moon. And then at the end, of yeah. course, when he, I don't know. You guys are both like on the verge of laughing. I feel <laughs> no, like I'm no, saying no, the no, dumbest no, no, shit. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm, thinking, I'm, not thought, I'm not envisioning it actually. <laughs> like, and I can, I can totally see that. Like, yeah, it's yeah. more of a, like where Kubrick's like the dissonance and emptiness of space. I feel mm-hmm. like Spielberg would be like, the great frontier like it's you're yeah. discovering you know i feel like it'd wonder. be more like kind of like maybe like interstellar or like jurassic park in space almost yeah you know what i mean it's like it's like it's <laughs> incredible that we're finding these technological yeah a t-rex with a space helmet on <laughs> all right adam all right what the what the I fuck know. is your version of cooper of spielberg's all right look look all right hold on just give me a second here okay <laughs> look okay so so yes, the lead, the first half of the movie, and we oh, established yeah. that that Dave is a Holocaust survivor. Okay, God damn it, take it. 
Okay. You let me finish. <laughs> you let me goddamn finish, all right? Uh, let, me, let me see how anti-Semitic this gets. <laughs> it's just going to escalate. And, you know, Dave has experienced a lot of horrors during the Holocaust, but he persevered and became... How old is he? Like, what the fuck? There's advances in this technology. This is 2001, so he's had to, he has to be like 70. Yeah, advances in technology. He's a doctor for Christ's sake. Oh, okay. so you oh, yeah, a lot, right. a lot of a lot of years of experience mm-hmm. getting that PhD. Um, so everything goes bad. You know, how's a little anti-Semitic? Like he, he kind of hates Jews, you know. And they they go at it, and and what ends up happening is that instead of Dave deactivating him, they become best friends. They work out their fucking differences, and everything is okay at the end. <laughs> and that would be, be Steven Spil- Spil- Spillyberg's <laughs> 2001: A Friend's God, Odyssey. Friends, a Friend's <laughs> Odyssey. God. And I was just like ET. <laughs> I love Dave. <laughs> To be honest, that's actually where it would probably go to. I mean, I mean if you look at if you look at ET and you look at fucking encounters of the uh, third kind or whatever, you know, it's it's a little bit more on the a little bit more positive. No, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying it's just more positive. It's not as abysmal. I mean, not as abysmal. I mean, more. It's not as dark as Kubrick is. Yeah, like, I, like that's what I was saying with, like, Brent's... It's like he wants to inspire wonder more so than, you know... To make, not be afraid make, of Make you them. feel, yeah, yeah like, with, with Kubrick's take on just space itself, it's just, like, this emptiness. Like, well, okay, so I think... I think um, he wouldn't have become Hell's friend, but it's like, how would have been this... He would have been, like, kind of the big bad, and there would have been this kind of, like... I could see it in my head, like, this crazy fucking genius Spielberg uh, like set piece at the end where he finally destroys Hal and then he thinks he's out of the woods but then that's when he gets to Jupiter and then kind of I mean he's more of like a Jaws type character yeah exactly and then he probably cut down on the like LSD trip at the end (laughs) by like by like eight minutes or so how long is that that's gotta be like it's like like five it's like four or five minutes dude Uh, it's pretty long it's pretty long yeah it's like uh, I don't know I'm just going off like the whole AI thing which is interesting you know how he's I was thinking about AI a lot during this because I was like AI's Never mind. He's got the AI right there. Yeah, it's like yeah. pop that trash can open. Um, because yeah, AI is kind of, from what I remember of it, it's kind of uh, Spielberg doing Kubrick's 2001. So it'll be really interesting to like rewatch that after seeing. If this. we are going to rewatch it, I think we are. Right, it's gonna be the seventh. Let's just keep the mystery alive. Okay. <laughs> we may. We may not. I don't know. Yeah, and I feel like. Kubrick wouldn't have established like friendship or, at all, or that wonder in that movie. Absolutely. I mean, not. Like, going off off the movie that we're doing, but like, yeah, like definitely like the whole Jude Law, fucking gigolo robot scene, where they, like, <laughs> come friends, and just the whole like Disney pay me fairy godmother thing. Like that seemed very like Spielberg. I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, th- I think you're forgetting about how dark that movie is, man. It, it is, is a it really is, dark It movie. is really, I mean, just like the whole, like, him being adopted by this family that couldn't, was it, they couldn't conceive, right? So they got him. Yeah, yeah. And that, just that concept in general is very, like, mm-hmm. dark and weird. And, yeah. Yeah, but. Um, so. Back on yeah, well, yeah, just a, just a real back into 2001. Uh, historical ho- context. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And what I what I what I found out that I picked up on this viewing was the the concept of lobotomy, because okay. back in that time, uh, lobotomy was uh, being scrutinized, or it was either it was it was in universal effect, but it was also being scrutinized at the same time for its uh, illegitimacy. I mean, we can we can think, think about films such as the classic um, "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest" about lobotomy at the at the end, yeah. and the whole scene with with Hal being literally lobotomized yeah. uh, oh, with okay. the removal of his yeah with his uh, 
how would you describe his his memory? Yeah, his higher memory. thought, yeah. like his processors or whatever. Yeah, yeah. taken offline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it actually showed uh, uh, the one time, the one moment that David actually had that, that had sympathy for how. Yeah, I mean, he you know? made you feel sympathy for yeah. a computer. Like you're like, oh shit, like mm-hmm. he's suffering like you never hear a computer feel pain it's like please like he just starts I'm like afraid, yeah, yeah i'm afraid yeah, david yeah. Yeah. everything's does he say like everything's getting dark or something like that yeah, like, he's, yeah he's uh it's i can i can feel it i can feel, I can it. feel it my mind yeah my mind is going, my mind, yeah. oh dude like that it's that so just, sad yeah it's very and, powerful like mm-hmm. it says so much and then yeah and then it's like and then at a certain point he like becomes i guess to keep sympathetic your, well no i was gonna say uh how like is lobotomized and kind of resets Remember, like when, he, and then he's like, "I know a song. Would you like me to you sing it?" And he's like, "I'd lo- I'd love to hear it." How, like, as he's like yeah. finalizing the, he, I mean, he did a great job acting that guy because he had the subtleties of just like, like how he felt so bad. Actually, like, you know, I'd like, you know, I'd like to hear you sing it. How, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the subtlety of just like how he actually legitimately feels really bad about taking away this. This computer that was literally trying to kill him a few minutes before. Yeah. yeah. You know? But he's still a sentient being in a, mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, and he feels that sympathy that's like... Mm-hmm. And it just questions that, like, where's that separation between man and machine? And mm-hmm. is he uh, alive? Like, you know what I mean? Is, is Does that make you human, having feelings, having, you know... Well, that's why the whole you know? thing about lobotomy back in that day is, is like, are you really... Are you really yourself despite parts of your brain being removed yeah, like you know that whole concept of it mm-hmm. you know but I, I just thought that was a really interesting um, concept since that was during that time mm-hmm. you know the bottom yeah and um, and uh, yeah I know we were trying to talk about like the historical context last week on Indiana Jones but I think it's harder to do it in a movie that's a period piece that's like set before when the movie was made and it's kind of easier to see when a movie tries to represent like a vision of the future. And so it's kind of easier to see like, oh, this is, it came out in 68? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is the future that we thought we were getting in 1968 when we were like about to be on the moon. Uh, every, like, every, like anything was possible. It was like, oh, of course we're gonna be in outer space and have a space station in 30 years. Well, of yeah. course, it's obvious. It was like projecting this track for, hum- for humankind that was so, like we were just, mm-hmm. we went from the 1940s and 50s of like being so like almost medieval, then into like now we're in space. Ten, a decade. Oh yeah, later. it yeah it took a crazy yeah. crazy leap. And so that's like, it makes sense why they were like, yeah, yeah we're if we continue space. at this rate, like yeah, we're gonna fucking. Well, if you're yeah, I mean, if you're born in 1900, you would you would have just remembered horses and then you see cars. You see two planes. world wars, yeah. Yeah. planes, and, and then the moon? moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's insane. And yeah. so it made sense for the context of that film to think that we were going to go straight to yeah, like what's going to happen beyond my lines, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Kubrick didn't think of iPhones. A fucking idiot. The idiot. Fucking stupid. <laughs> All we got was fucking. <laughs> Well, there was like an iPad. Yeah, there was thing. An iPad. Like he definitely, <laughs> and then that's another thing. Like yeah. the 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 simplicity of his idea of the future mm. makes makes it more timeless. It is. Oh, yeah. like yeah. if, if you see like all these other like um, like I was watching that like I mentioned that black hole movie with uh, Anthony Perkins. Um, <laughs> you was, know Anthony Perkins. He it was so, like he's the only person. I think it had a what's that other fucking dude? I forgot his name. Like some other. It, like it had all these like sixties and seventies like actors. Mm. But like yeah, it's really just you see the difference. And this was made. Uh, like 10 years after 2001 and it looks dated as fuck yeah you see 2001 and you're like man everything looks so crisp that like even like the the ships flying in space like because he just he used contrast and the colors the color palette he used everything looks legit you know i mean that's yeah i mean that's that's an interesting uh point is because it's like he didn't want to get too bogged down in like the style of like the time or anything like that because then it's like it's like fashion yeah like these movies that are outdated it's because it's like a lot of 80s movies are outdated Mm, because it's like they really kind of used like the fashion of the time and everything like that yeah exactly like you see like um on like that that movie just 
on being on that subject of black hole, like they have like monitors, like CRT monitors, <laughs> and like these big old buttons, and it looks like a computer, like fucking a computer, a mega computer room back in that time period. Like it took a lot of the stuff from that time period and like, oh, let's make it kind of futuristic. Yeah. But Kubrick's just like whole idea of like teleconferencing, like fucking mm-hmm. um, all like the touch, everything, everything's flat and like you know compact. Yeah. It was very simple. The simplicity makes it more like uh, timeless and efficient. Uh-huh. Would we have the Apple Store without 2001: A Space Odyssey? <laughs> I just kept thinking of the funny. I think Apple that's store. a conversation for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Would we still have the headphone jack? No, I mean, I mean, there's a. If you look at a lot of things, stylistically, a lot of things are inspired by 2001. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, sci-fi definitely pushes technology, like especially like Star Trek and 2001. Yeah, all for sure. Even Star Wars, like I mean, they've all like pushed technology forward. I think. I mean, even look at her, like the movie her, like you'd see like. A not far-fetched future. Well, yeah, like yeah. they have like the hollow lens or whatever, like that mm-hmm. fucking weird game he's playing. That's def- definitely like the. Oh yeah, that weird like augmented reality. Yeah, game. Like, yeah. That's... It's like oh, I can see that in ten years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we already have augmented reality, even with like Pokemon Go and all those mm-hmm. stupid phone games. Like, yeah. stupid. It's it's a it's a form of it. I mean, we're getting there. It's, mm-hmm. It just needs. And I mean, what's her set like twenty years in the future? If Something that, like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's not too far ahead. So I'd like to bring us to. Um, what what did you not like about the film? And I, I'll start off with uh, with Brent. <laughs> I mean, we yeah, we talked about it after we finished it. There's really not a lot I dislike about it. I mean, I think because before I watched it today, my biggest thing was like, man, there's a lot of fat that you can like cut out of this movie, and like that's like I, that's every time I'd watched it previously, like that's how I felt. And this time, I like fully realized like. Oh well, these sequences that I thought were a little extraneous before, like, are necessary, and they're even shorter than I thought they were before. So I don't know what the big deal is. Um, I would, I don't know, man. Like, it's really hard to. I'm not really sure. Like criticisms. I mean, like I said before, like maybe the music choices for some of the um, scenes with the monoliths, maybe. But mm-hmm. even that, I can understand where they're coming from. Um, I don't know. I mean, circle back around to me on that one. I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> How about you, Sergio? I, I mean, it's definitely one of my all-time favorite films. So I, I really don't... I, I would say, like, maybe the length for some people. Like, if you're a first-time... You know, I mean, you're not a big Kubrick fan. You're not a film buff. You know, you watch it and you're like, when's something going to happen? Yeah, it's definitely not a movie for everyone. Yeah, it, it's not. Yeah. I would... I would If it was a con... If there was a con, it would be that. <laughs> it's very... It's an acquired taste. You have to be into film... You have to be able to read between the lines. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody that's kind of dumb wouldn't. Really, <laughs> when, when, See, when, is, a, when is shit gonna blow up? Like when is that's when is something that's gonna so happen? interesting to me because our criticisms are more about the the lack the lack of criticism because mm-hmm. it's just not for people who want to to study film or like. Mm-hmm. Take a deeper but look. I, I mean, yeah, but I think that all goes back to, and that's why it's interesting we're doing Spielberg versus Kubrick, is because it all depends on like the type of entertainment that you want to digest. Kind of, it's like if you're not the type of person who's going to get anything out of 2001, it's like if you're like not in the right like Mood. brain space for it or whatever. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, watch a Spielberg movie; that'd probably be more. You know, well, even so, it's like you know, I, I would. There's some nights where I totally feel like watching Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. like I want to see a good old action yeah, fest, something light, you know, right? You can digest easily. And then sometimes I want to watch 2001, where I'm really in the mood of just like consuming a brilliant piece of artwork, yeah. you know. Like to me, like Spielberg makes hamburgers and Kubrick makes caviar. Like you know, what I mean, you you it's something you're gonna pay. They're not pay more, but oh, it's, that's a good point. It's like it's, a, it's like something mm. you you need an acquired taste, a more refined palate. Mm. Whereas Spielberg, like, everybody loves fucking burgers. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. wrong with wrong with it. But Except he, for the heart disease. <laughs> yeah, like... Except for it's going to kill you 30 years early. But, I mean, the thing with Spielberg is he ranges from, like, fucking a hamburger to prime rib. Like, you see, like, Schindler's List or, like, something more, like, just a lot deeper and more meaningful. And he can go to that side of the spectrum. 
but he's always like about entertainment and the bottom right. line of getting taking or at on least, a journey or yeah entertainment or like a, an emotional journey like in yeah. terms of like Schindler's List or Munich or something but yeah like he, yeah. he's definitely whereas Kubrick I feel like Kubrick makes films for himself and Absolutely. Spielberg makes movies for audiences absolutely yeah and that's I mean that, that's why I like when y'all set, talked about the comparison of the two I'm just like I can't compare those two. It's like <laughs> no, but that's why, that's why it's so different. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so interesting to have the juxtaposition between two because it explores the yeah. the spectrum of film and yeah. what its implications are. Yeah, I know. mean there definitely is. I mean there's a, I mean there's film. For, there's a filmmaker for everyone. Right. You know what I mean? There's the fucking. Yeah, I mean you can like scary movie or you can like fucking like Lars von Trier movies. Like, like, <laughs> Oh my god! Now I want to do Lars von Trier versus whoever made the scary movies. God, that's great. No, um, I remember reading uh, because I was looking up like Spielberg versus Kubrick, and I think I told you guys this, but one guy equated it to when you're, let's say that you're at a bar and you you see Spielberg there, right? And everyone's gathered around him, and he's telling this invigorating story, and everyone's really into it, and it's great, it's fantastic. And then you go from Spielberg and go over to Kubrick, and he's just sitting by himself, sipping on a drink, right? Um, but it's this one-on-one conversation, and it's really intense, and you're having like this very engaging conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's the interesting difference between the two. It's like one is just a grand entertainer and one is a very introspective um, filmmaker yeah he's very 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 personal all of his films like I mean and even if you believe all the fucking like uh, the conspiracy theories about oh, him shit. you know what I mean yeah. like or like he's saying he's confessing to fucking making the fucking moon landing, moon landing or whatever yeah. <laughs> but it's not because I think those conspiracies come about because there's so much there that's just for him that he put in there that's you know just his personal vision, like yeah. vision something that you won't get but he gets you know what i mean and he's not going to tell you what it is well yeah i mean if you watch a spielberg film you're not going to derive any sort of conspiracies from it. yeah i mean it's you just know? all it's all there you know what right. I mean? it's all put in front of you and, and it's made that way to be put in front of you mm-hmm. like he he wants you to he wants you to enjoy his burger you know what i mean <laughs> he puts a lot of cheese on it you know what I mean? and uh, okay well on that note um <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll just we'll wrap things up here, and I'll, I guess we'll just give our, our final comments on it. So, I, I think this is, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I absolutely love 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, watching it again shows a lot of things I had missed. Just I guess just because of experience, um, like knowing a little bit more about the store context, it holds up so well. Um, I think it's a great movie just to watch every, I don't know, few years or so and mm-hmm. kind of just get something something new out of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely one to watch if you are an enthusiast of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel that same way too. Like it's something, I won't watch it every day. Even though I love it, I mean, I, I'm not going to like, you know what, I got, a cu- I got three hours to burn. Right. Watch <laughs> Space Odyssey. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but if it's on TV or if like, which hardly ever plays on TV. But, like if, I, if it's on or like I know like it's played on like HBO. Like I'll sit there and watch the whole thing. Like it's very a very hypnotic movie. Like it gets, exactly it draws you in. And I, I every time I watch it, I find something new from it. Like like you were saying, even the, and the more I learn about film, the more I appreciate that movie. Like mm-hmm. it just each time I watch it, I'm like, God damn, he's a fucking genius. Like mm-hmm. he's he's got a, he has to be autistic because like. He fucking, <laughs> Like yeah. it's just like on another level, on another plane of thought, and you and then you like remember like this movie's like forty something years old. Or how old is it? Sixty. Sixty late sixties. Shit. So yeah. like forty eight years yeah, old. Yeah, like, oh like and he holds up so well. Yeah, and so you're like, god damn it! Well. Like this looks like it was made in like I mean I, I would date it like in the ni- like late nineties, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Right. And yeah. Just like visuals yeah. wise, and like all the camera tricks he uses, and it just it, it really holds up well, like. And I could watch it again in like 30 years and probably still say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, watching it again today, like, I appreciate it even more because, like, I've always, I shouldn't say I've always loved it. I remember, like, watching it for the first time and it was like, it was almost uh, like a struggle to get through because I was like, I just wasn't at the point, I guess, in like where I, you know, how much I enjoyed films and like learned 
more about them and things like that. But um, yeah, it just wasn't, I guess, ready for it. And then I watched it. Um, you know, every every time that I've watched it, I grow to like it more and more. And this time, I think it's like the most yet because it's like like I said, like those scenes that I thought were kind of long and kind of tedious before. It's like they make sense, and I see what he's doing, and he's building an atmosphere. And uh, I mean, yeah, just the fact that I can I barely can critique anything about this movie shows like how much I enjoy it. And it's like like I said at the beginning too, like the scope of this movie, like the balls it took. Kubrick to make a movie that covers the span of basically the beginning of everything <laughs> and like where like whenever the fuck beyond the infinite well, essentially basically the end of humanity as we end know of it. humanity as we know I, I mean it, it's essentially yeah. like the next uh, to me what I gather from the ending which we didn't really even talk about is it's that next evolution of man that next progression like where I said the it's, rebirth it's, of humanity yeah, yeah. And, and the you know with this new like sense of fucking probably like another thinking on another plane being yeah. beyond like what beyond we the currently. infinite yeah 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 which is definitely well that that i mean i, I don't want to get like too into the details here but that kind of explains like what what that planet is at the end i think it's just a new planet because i guess in previous viewings i thought that was earth like the baby the star child or whatever is going back to earth but i think it's a totally new planet because it's just like this like totally blue cloudy Mm-hmm. Ball or something, and it could very well be Earth. It could be, you know, what I mean, yeah. the Star Child going back to, you know, what I mean, to re- a new Earth, to yeah, a, I mean. or yeah, or even to the old Earth to, you know, what I mean, start this new exactly, next I mean. step in evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. was, uh, he was Jesus Christ. He was Jesus. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ahead and, and wrap up uh, today's podcast. Again, um, we had watched 2001: Space Odyssey by. I was about to say Steven Kubrick. Yes. <laughs> Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Steven Spielberg. And with me is uh, Sergio and Brent. Mm-hmm. And I'm Adam. And thanks for listening, guys. And do we have a little sign off? I guess we don't have a little uh, sign off. I mean, yeah. Tune in uh, next week uh, for. Tune in next week. What are we doing next week? I'll cut that out. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we're going to be doing uh, Munich next week, which I'm really fucking excited oh, about. Shit, oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you later.